Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, Bill, welcome to the Build Your Network podcast. So excited to have you on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, I definitely have a lot of questions about the topic we're going to cover today. But first, I like to take these conversations back to the beginning. And let's go to middle school, Bill. <laughs> what was uh, what was your personality then? What were you looking at? And what were you, what, what did you think life had in store for you around that age? Middle school. Wow. Yeah, that's horrible. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I think the best way to start off with is I was, I'm an only child. So middle school was awkward. <laughs> Let's go there. Uh, socially awkward. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with uh, a, a big family and, and I had no siblings. So first of all, let me throw out, I think only children are weird, uh, just, just by default for anybody other than only child, you're probably weird, as am I, uh, you know, so it, it, it made social interaction, I think, a little bit tougher for me, hmm. um, you know, making friends and things like that a little bit harder, so you kind of had to uh, had to work at it a little more, but uh, yeah, I would say I was a late bloomer in life, so yeah, not 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 one of the cool kids early on. <laughs> yeah, were, were you, did you have any uh, inkling of like what it is you wanted to be or, or what what kind of work you wanted to do as you were kind of moving into and maybe moving into high school did you start like pushing in a certain path or did you feel kind of 
like I'll figure it out as I go along. Yeah, I think at that age, I, I probably did not have a lot of clarity of what I wanted to do. I come from a line of physicians. And so, okay. of course, you always want to be like your parents. You go, oh, I want to be a doctor. Well, clearly that didn't happen. So, uh, you know, um, I think maybe I was probably thinking something along those lines earlier on. And then I became really my first real career move was a pilot and becoming a corporate pilot. That actually, I, I got the aviation bug or bit by the aviation bug probably around the age of 16. So it was definitely high school. And that was a family member who was a pilot, uh, mm. uh, my stepmother's brother. So step uncle, I guess you'd call it. And um, he, he came into town and took us up, uh, took the family up for flight. And I got to sit in the front seat and he let me hold on to it. I was hooked. I mean, it was like, since I got to fly the airplane, I was like, ooh, this is for me. And so at the age of 16, I started taking flight lessons and learning to fly airplanes and this that, and the other. So I would say at that age, I think I was going in the direction of aviation and that's what I wanted to do, but then ultimately had a, a, a big shift and, and went into real estate instead. How far did you pursue that path? Did you, did you start taking classes? Did you start going that route or did you I did. do that? End I, became, I, I, I became a corporate pilot. I actually flew wow. corporate and uh, sort of longer story was doing aviation um, up to about 2004. Hmm. And I saw friends of mine flipping houses, doing real estate. And I decided that, uh, you know, they were about as smart as I was and they were making a lot more money doing it. And I was getting right. up going to work and I went, wait a minute now. My very first real estate deal was a duplex and I, I bought this duplex uh, and I had saved up $10,000 and the duplex was making $300 a month cash flow. And I walked away from the aviation career. I just turned in my tweet notice and said, I'm out of here. Right. And I uh, went straight into real estate. So, you know, like I said, yes, I thought I was going to be a pilot and that was the career trajectory until it wasn't. Right. <laughs> it was right. an abrupt turn. So your first deal was around 2004? Correct. Right in 2005. Yep. Right in 2005. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how quickly were you able to do that first deal? Or was it pretty much you made the decision, you had the cash in hand, went straight into it? One year. It took me one year to get my first deal done. From the day that in my mind I decided, okay, I'm going to go into real estate. Um, it took me about a year to get my first deal done. Uh, I spent that year reading and studying and all the books that we've all read and all the you know, uh, courses we all took when we first got started, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all that kind of garbage. Went through all that stuff for that first year. And um, it, it took me that amount of time to find my what I was comfortable with. And I, I think I felt like I had enough education. So by the time I did my very first deal, I was uh, ready to go. Probably probably thought I was a little smarter than I was. Uh, found out pretty quick, maybe I wasn't as smart as I thought. Yeah. But I did have thick skin and I, I was able to, to put up with the ups and the downs. And just can, kept taking action, you yeah. know, just kept getting in there, getting in the fight, just, just say, Hey, I'd screw one up and have a bad day. Don't worry about it. Let's go buy some more and just, just keep going and keep figuring it out. And that's how I ultimately overcame my own uh, lack of education or experience. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty crazy when I was, I was reading a little bit on your story and like, knowing like you were, you bought your first 400 units without ever taking out a loan, which is Kind of crazy, you know, like that's a, that's a loan with a commercial bank or traditional financing. So I want to make that clear. Yeah. I used uh, all types of uh, creative financing for those first 402 units. So I took out a loan on a few of those in the sense that I put them on my credit card. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was kind of creative. I don't recommend that, by the way, yeah. for anybody listening. But yeah, so so the first 402 units, um, I did not go in, qualify for a traditional mortgage, put some money down and buy the asset. Uh, I did not do that until much, much later on in my career. So what would you, what would you say is the balance between 
just taking action and then being prepared. Because I feel like a lot of people with any endeavor, whether it's, you know, whether it's real estate or, or any kind of career pivot, you know, there's that, there's that balance of like, okay, I want to, I want to prepare, but some people use that as their excuse to never get started, you know, like professional so, students, right. How, how prepared should you be versus when should you take action? You know, like what's the balance there? Yeah, I, it's, it's actually a really good question. And I'm, I'm kind of struggling to kind of think, where is that balance actually? You know, where did I find that balance? Well, I, I don't think it exists. Hmm. I think the question lends us to believe that there is a perfect time and there is not. Yeah. You know, there's right now and there's yesterday and that's about it, you know. And, and so you, you, you can't sit in the driveway and wait for all the lights to turn green before you back out of the driveway. You know what I mean? You, you, everybody wants to do that. They want to stay safe until all the little things line up and everything's perfect and it's all nice and comfortable and then we'll ease. You're not going to get anywhere like that. There's never going to be that perfect time. You know, you, you want to prepare yourself as much as you can, get as much education as you can. But when the opportunity arises, you take it. And you don't worry about how prepared you are or you aren't because you're never going to be prepared enough for everything just take action. Just do it. When it feels right and, and you and your bones think this is the one, you just do it. And in my philosophy in business and in real estate is, look, if you screw up one, buy two. <laughs> screw up two, buy 10. You'll get it right eventually. Right. Just don't quit. Yeah. Just don't stop. That's the key. Just keep taking action and you through experience will get it right eventually. Just don't stop. So you read the books, you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, you, you did the courses, oh. you did the trainings, talked with friends. Looking back at those early deals, what would you say is the biggest, maybe mistake that you made or, or biggest thing that the books did not prepare you for? Like all the courses, books, what was that big, big thing? You're like, why one. did no one tell me this? Easy one. Yeah. Cause I'm on one point, right? In, in Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Porter, you know, great information, great book. I'll say that. Yes, but hold on. Everything in that information told me to analyze my deals per the cash flow model. That is a mistake. And so my very, very first mistake in real estate was to my first deal, my, du my duplex, first deal I bought was to analyze the deal in the very narrow point of view that these books have told us to analyze. And that's, oh, does it cash flow? Does it make revenue to hit the number? Yeah, but hold on, back up and place the deal into the context of the world and the market around it. See that they didn't tell me. Right. And I paid twice what I should have paid for that building. Right. And that's the story of my book. And I tell that it's like, you know, I, I went to my very first REA group uh, meeting, you know, our real estate investment club for anybody who's not aware. And uh, I go in, I just done my first duplex. I'm nervous. I go into the meeting. And of course, you know, as, as these meetings go, they say, okay, who, who did their first deal? You know, tell us who's done some business. Me, 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 me. You know, I did my first deal and I'm all excited. And, uh, and they say, well, tell us about it, you know? And I say, okay, it's duplex and it's cash flow and 300 bucks, you know? And I paid, uh, you know, 43 6,000, I think is what I paid for the duplex at the time. And everyone's like, oh, yay, you know, round of applause. And there's a guy in the back of the room just busted out laughing. And now, you know, knocked, I'm going, whoa, what the heck? And, uh, and the guy stood up and said, you're an idiot. Man, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. And I went, want to go to lunch? <laughs> so I think I could think of at the moment, right? The guy's calling me an idiot. So I'm like, cool, come tell me about it. He was right. Everybody on that street was paying about $20,000 for a duplex. And I paid 46,000, right? Because mm. I was able to get seller financing. I was able to do some creative financing. And I thought that all you need to do is close the deal. You know, that's all real estate's about. You know, you make money when you buy. Nonsense. That's mitigating the concept of exit strategy. 
I had no exit strategy. See, and that's what all those books weren't really zeroed in on. They're just focusing 100% on you make money when you buy real estate. That is not true. And, and you know, oh, you just get into a deal and you cash flow. No, get out of the deal profitably. Exit profitably. That's the magic in real estate, not getting in, getting out. And so I, I had no exit strategy. So I, I, I don't blame anybody. I'm joking on that point of view about blaming Robert Kiyosaki for my first mistake. But I mean, basically, you know, hey, you could have done a better job teaching. And so that's why I try to tell everybody now is, is be careful about these sort of, you know, memes and adages that we just kind of accept as true yeah. in these businesses. Be careful about that. You do not make money when you buy real estate. You make money when the check clears the bank account. You know I mean? Right. That means you sold it. You went Ask anybody that, that lost an asset or went into foreclosure if they made money when they bought. And the answer is they did not. And so that was my very, very first mistake was not understanding exit strategy and, and only analyzing deals from this cash flow perspective and not, not realizing that there's a lot more to it than just that. So that was that was probably my first big uh-oh. <laughs> That's super valuable because I think so many of the books you mentioned, so many of the courses and, and influencers in that world, their goal is to get you open to the idea of doing that first deal of buying. And so it does that job. Like it gets people excited yes, to buy a property, but I think it's important people understand what you just said, which is like, you, you don't instantly magically make a million dollars when you buy your first property. Like it's the work and the journey there. And there has to be that, you have to be prepared to be patient with that kind of stuff. You know, and, and what I like to tell people is look, you create value when you buy, you make money when you sell. And let's be real clear about the difference between value and money. And I think people confuse that. And so they, the adage has come up, oh, you make money when you buy. No, no, no. You create the opportunity to make money when you buy. You create the value when you buy. You make money when you get out of that thing intact and, and the seller pays more than you paid or the buyer pays more than you paid. That's when you make money. So let's be clear. And it has everything to do with the exit strategy. You know, and let me kind of bring it back to aviation when I was flying airplanes. I remember my very first solo flight, uh, the, the, I'd never flown the airplane alone. You know, I've been taking lessons. I was 17 years old, I think at the time, you know, just a kid. And, uh, and the instructor, we land the airplane and, and we're on the runway, right? And the instructor hops out the airplane, closes the door behind him. And I'm, now I'm freaking, right? I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, you don't get to get out. And I'll never forget, he leaned back in the door and he goes, remember, takeoffs are optional, landing's mandatory. And he closes the door and he walks off. And I'm going, what? And I didn't think a whole lot of it. But then later on, that really kind of hit me. as like, you know, what he's trying to tell me was you don't have to take off. Yeah. You have to land. You don't have to close. You have to exit. So once you make that commitment, there's it, it's no time out now, just like in aviation. And so his point really was, was do all your homework, do all your math, do all your analysis, have your exit strategy lined up, all this stuff before you take off. Because once you take that airplane off, you will put the airplane back on the ground, wings up or wheels up, you're going to go back on the ground, right? Well, hold on. In a real estate deal, once you close, you will exit through a foreclosure, through a sale, through so you will exit, I promise you will. Make sure it's the right exit. So that's what, it, that that brings us back to analysis and deal analysis, which is the key to business, the key to real estate, not closing. You mentioned obviously, you know, that you will close one way or another. I'm, I'm curious, you, you did your first deal in 2004, obviously 2008 looming on the horizon, real estate market totally wheels up, you know, like it was yeah, a pretty right. bad, exactly. pretty bad situation. Yeah. Um, Some of my own deals, by the way. Yeah. Was there, was there a, I mean, number one, how did that affect you? And number two, did you have this moment where you thought, 
why did I do this? Why didn't I stay in Daily. commercial aviation? Like, what was what was Daily. that period <laughs> like for you? Yeah, uh, 08 was fine. Um, mm. My 08 actually hit about 2011 to 2012. Mm. So in 08, I did not have a large portfolio. I was still building it. And so I was actually able to go out and start buying foreclosures. Excuse me. Let's buy so it was good for you initially. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm a genius. I'm out here just buying real estate left and right. And, you know, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate this exit strategy thing. You know, that was kind of my 08 through 2011 ish. And, and I'm great. I'm great. Well, several problems here. One and this is a different subject altogether, but I was getting short term loans the loans came due and they came due in an off cycle. So I, I was in Macon, Georgia at the time, which was still a relatively impoverished market. And so my loans came due in 2012. That was a problem. So that's a different you know, lecture altogether, but I, I was getting short-term loans. I didn't have the right exit strategy. See, and now I have a forced exit strategy. You make money in real estate when you do, when you do not have to sell, right? You lose money when you have to sell. Hmm. Don't have to sell, right? I got I had to sell because I got the wrong loan. The, the loan was not timed with the market and they called to do it. It pushed me into a forced sale. And therefore, yeah, I took a real beating, but it wasn't in 08 like most people. It was about 2011, 2012. But again, it was because I was using the wrong exit strategy with the wrong debt. And I did not make money on those deals, um, you know, because I was forced to sell. And so there's a lot of lessons in there. We have to understand our market strategy. You have to understand your debt and your exits. But yeah, again, largely speaking, I didn't have the proper exit strategy and it, and it cost me tremendously. Right. I, I definitely want to move the conversation that direction of relationships, but I still want to, I want to get some practical value for people Please. who are sitting here right now and, and looking at the market and look, the, the thing that's tricky with this, it's like it's like you mentioned kind of reading through these books is the message from people who teach this is always the same. It feels like get into real estate, get into real estate. It doesn't seem like there's a adjustment for what the current you know economic state is. It doesn't seem like there's an adjustment for who the person is. The, the message is just, hey, you need to do this. And if you buy, you know, you're gonna make some money. That's kind of the messaging. The sales um, pitch. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a sales pitch to get into it. So right now, you know, there's a huge boom right now. People are trying to buy their, their, you know, I talked with a guest a few, a few days ago and, you know, he said people are nesting right now. They've been stuck home. They're buying these houses. Like I saw a video the other day of people lined up for a lottery to get to buy a house, you know, way over the, the actual value of the property. Like for people that are looking at, you know, getting into this right now, do you advise that they wait until there's this, you know, everyone says it's going to go back down or should they just get started no matter what, just try to get into it, find a good deal that works and, and go from there. I, I lean more towards the just get started. But what I think people misunderstand is the, the lag time that it takes you to get started. So what I always recommend people get started with is an education. So, you know, if we're in an up cycle and we're at the peak and it's competitive and everything's crazy and all this kind of garbage, then it's a great time to get started because you're not going to buy anything anyway. So get in, get started, get practicing, put your team together, get your equity together, get your relationships built, you know, study, learn, do all these sorts of things that you can do so that when the, the market uh, does kind of decline and when we go into more of a good buying market, you're going into that market with full momentum. If you wait until we're at the bottom and you go, okay, all the lights are green, you know, back to that comment, 
and you're ready just to jump in at the perfect time, you're actually got a lag and you're, you may be halfway up the next market cycle by the time you get your team together, your education together, you know? So it's the old adage, when, when's the best time to buy real estate? Five years ago. When's the second best time? Today. Right. You know, so, I mean, you, you do want to get started whenever and wherever, but get started with education first and take the actual asset part of this a little bit or on the slower side. So, yeah, I am in the, the let's get started thing. But I also, you know, I teach real estate and I have a lot of students and, and I've you know, written a book and some other things. But my personal motto is information, not motivation. Hmm. I don't care whether you buy multifamily. I don't care whether you get into real estate at all. Personally, that's a you choice. Once you've made the choice, now I can help you. I have the information, but I will never sit here and tell anyone you should be in real estate or you should be in multifamily or you're stupid if you're not, or you're a failure if you don't buy real estate. I cannot stand that point of view. And I think too many people, too many sales people that are selling gurus are, are trying to get you to run to the back of the room and swipe a credit card, basically, yeah. you know, and they're trying to make you take some kind of cash action that benefits them financially right here, right now, maybe to your benefit, maybe not to your benefit. I don't know. See, I don't like that. And I, I worked with another um, speaker who did that a lot uh, in, in a past life and kind of learned that I don't care for that. So I don't, I don't sell anyone on the concept of getting into real estate. That's a you problem. Get in, don't get in, whatever. But if you do, I'm here. And if right. you do get in, I have your information. But I'm, I'm never going to convince you that this is the thing for you. That's not true. Real estate is not for everybody. Business is not for everybody. And everybody is not going to be successful just because they jump into real estate or buy my book. Those, again, those are nonsense concepts. Um, so, no, uh, I don't think it's the right point of view for, to, to tell everybody, you know, you're stupid if you don't buy real estate. Sure, sure. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over one hundred and forty million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash 
Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. You gave a couple of practical things that you need to get set up. And and I think that's, and again, it's not to keep using aviation examples, but it, it makes sense having that runway of saying like, if you get started now, when the bubble does burst, cause it will, you know, like I know enough about real estate to know that it's not going to stay go. this forever. You know, if you're starting now, then when it does dip, then you're ready to buy because you've spent a year investing in knowledge and things, but you threw out a couple of things that for someone listening, they might jot down, okay, start educating, you start putting your team together, like taking those steps, but practically they might be wondering, what does that look like? You know, like what, what do I start researching? Do I buy rich dad, poor dad? Do I just buy your book? Do I buy creative cash and start going through it? Like if you had to give a, like, and obviously this is different for everybody, everybody's situation, but broadly speaking, right. if you were to say, Hey, the first thing I would do as far as education is this, what would that be? Or the first, the first team member you need to bring in to, to work with you is this, like, what would that kind of look like? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to answer that question in two different ways. One very specifically and one very generally Um, specifically speaking. Yes. Start with your low priced education. Um, You know, read the the $19 book before you go sign up for the thousand dollar course and then take the thousand dollar course before you sign up for the $50,000 coaching program. It's like, you know, hold on. Don't don't just jump clean off the education cliff and run out and sign up for the first coaching program and drop 50 grand. That's a good way to get ripped off quick. So I suggest you start off with low cost education, consume every bit of that you can. Uh, And it's it's kind of a general concept that I have of of hustle before dollars. Hmm. Right. Spend your hustle before you spend your dollars. So go out and, and get out there and, and look at those deals or look at look at the books, look at the education. You can go. There's all kinds of forums. There's all kinds of podcasts. You're a podcast. There's all kind of information out there. When you're done consuming the free, then let's spend some money. OK. And then when you're ready to spend money, pay attention to who you're giving that money to. Vet your educators, right. you know, listen to go, go look at their resume, go look who they are, look at how many deals they've done. You know, there's a lot of gurus out there who who heard about real estate last week, read a book, and now they're teaching it. And it's like, whoa, you know, careful. We don't want to go signing up with those people. But uh, yeah, so that would be my, my more technical concept. Then my, my general concept is, yes, that's the answer to every question. Yes, until through practice or through application, you prove the answer to be no. Mm-hmm. So whatever question you have, the answer is yes. Should I read this book? Yes. Should I take this class? Yes. Should I go here? Yes. Until through action, you go over there and go, okay, that didn't work. Now don't do it twice, but don't sit here and talk mentally, talk yourself out of some sort of action. When you're new, you throw everything at the wall and then what doesn't stick, you don't repeat, but throw everything at the wall. And that's, that's where I see people making a mistake is they, they're looking for that magic bullet. If I read this book or take mm-hmm. this class or do this one thing, I'll have all the, no, 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 no. Do all of them. And once you've done them once, then gauge whether that was the right decision or not. And you start eliminating through practice. And so that's what I, that's what I find is that people are just not willing to practice. You know, they, they keep looking for the shortcut and the one way and the, the thing, the one thing. And this is all nonsense. Yeah. You do all of it until you figure out what's not worth doing. And then you stop doing those things. And the people who promise that are usually the people that you shouldn't be taking lessons from that are saying you're going to get you know, it, and even if they, even if it did happen for them, cause there are the flukes, you know, there are things sure. where I bought this property and then, wow, this happened, or I took this and I, this happened, sure. but the people that promise, 
here's the thing. If there is a magic bullet, it would sell out. Like there would be, everyone would do it. Everyone would repeat it. And it would, it would happen over and over and over again. Or it would be incredibly secret. Yeah. Incredibly and secret. Never yeah. tell you about that magic bullet because it wouldn't want you to have it. Right. Right. And you're right. It's not the sexy answer. That's what we always talk right. about with what, you know, even with podcasting, you know, everyone wants to make a, make money podcasting. Oh, I want to get paid to talk. Yeah, that's great. You know, everybody wants to get paid to talk. That's, that's, that's awesome. But the reality is when people ask, what's the secret, we always go back to it's consistent quality content over time. And when you right. say the words consistency and time, people, you, you'll lose most people because yeah, they'll just in the work right there. Yeah. Is, is, they're like, okay, well, let me find someone who's going to help me go from zero to a hundred tomorrow. Good luck. Let me know when you find them because I'll pay, I'll write them a check to, to get the same that's, you know, that's exactly what I say. And I've, I've made that very similar comment. A lot of times people say, oh, I don't want to be transaction based. You know, I don't, I, I, I want to just go ahead and, and, and invest and have passive revenue. Hey, look, if you can get into business and make a lot of money and not be transaction based, write that book because I am your customer. I'm the first one in line to take your class. If you can get out here and, and get into a business and, and not you know break some eggs making that omelet, right? If you if you can get in here and, and just shoot straight to the top, sign me up for that program because I've been doing it wrong my whole life. Right. I'll take your right. class tomorrow. Yeah, it's not true. It's not gonna happen. It's not the way it works. It's not the way the world works. You're right. And people that are looking for that shortcut, just find a shortcut to failure, not to success. Right. Right. One last question before we switch. I'm kind of curious, like there is so much of this that we've talked about where, you know, it's you making this personal decision for you. And and what are your thoughts on, there's a lot of these programs, obviously like Grant Cardone's whole model is this like investing into somebody who manages your money for you and invest in these properties. Do you think that's a, do you think that's a smart way to invest or do you think it's better to control kind of every element of a deal yourself is it no i think think both are fine they're both different models you know because you it depends on who you're talking to you may be talking to someone like myself who is in the business and we're a syndicator and and, you know we're going out we're building our our business you know we need investors we need limited partners to come help us do it but at the same time not everybody can run a real estate business sometimes you have those doctors and lawyers and and account the high-paid individual who does want to access real estate and does want the benefit of real estate, but needs a gatekeeper to get them in there. So I see both sides of the equation where I would caution the LP or the limited partner is in not knowing how to analyze a deal excuse me, at any kind of level like your syndicator. So, mm. you know, if I bring a limited partner a deal and say, hey, this is a good deal, you should invest in this deal. I really want that person to be able to crunch those numbers as well as I can, or at least close to it. There's where I see the mistake is there's so much limited partner money out there that's wanting to be in real estate, but really doesn't know how to vet either a deal or the underwriting for a deal, or they don't know how to vet their their general partners. And I think that's the mistake we're not discussing is that this limited partner money, this this they're, they're trying to game stop everything. They think they're just going to throw some checks in here and all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, they're making a thousand percent return. No, 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 that's not how this works. And you, you need to be careful about who these people are that you're writing this check to. Uh, you need to be careful about their resume and you need to be able to vet their underwriting, which means, you know, underwriting, at least on some level yourself. So if anybody is looking to be a limited partner in real estate, I strongly recommend you go take an underwriting class, watch some videos, you know, YouTube's full of them, whatever, anywhere, just go get some kind of reference as to how an underwriting for a real estate asset should go. That'll make you a lot safer you know, when you're investing with a, with a general partner. So that'd be my general tip on, on that. 
It would seem I answered this question with our last one, which is there's no magic bullet. So writing a check to somebody to go make you a lot of money is not going to always pay off. You have to know how to be able to analyze it. You win some, you lose some, you know? Right, right. But yeah, let's try and win more than we lose. Well, do your homework. Right. Well, look, I mean, this has been really helpful as far as the real estate side. I think there's some good practical advice for people who are who are looking to jump into this space. But obviously the show is called Build Your Network. So I want to spend some time talking about how important that is. Uh, first off, we ask everybody this question that comes on the show, and I'm always interested to hear the answers. We've talked a lot about education. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Yeah, I I, I, uh, <laughs> I, would, I might lean more towards who you know is a little more important, but if you know a lot of people and you don't know anything worth knowing, are you worth knowing? Hmm. So, so I think we're asking the wrong question. It's, it's, is it knowing someone or, or, or bringing value more important? Well, both. So yes, you need to have a large network, but the point I'm trying to make is you need to bring value to that network. You know, a stack of business cards, a network does not equal, right? Hmm. You, just because you went around a room and gathered up a whole bunch of business cards doesn't mean you know people. And even when you know people, so what if you're not bringing that group value and you're going to bring them value through what you know. Mm -hmm. So I think you need to know something that is valuable. And now you need to find the network that views what you know as valuable. And, and that's something I learned the hard way through through real estate networking and just through networking in general is that I would sometimes try and network with the wrong group, network with people that I thought were, were the high net worth and the experienced and the, and the awesome players and they're doing it. Yeah, and I brought them no value. Was I networking with them? Sure. To what end? None. I brought no value to those people. You know, they can outsource anything I brought to, to an employee. So, so I think the question here is, is, yes, we need to know people, but we need to know the right people and we need to be able to bring value to the people that we want to know. And, and that's the magic in networking is paying attention to who you're networking with and what room so that you maximize your success in that networking. I've had a lot of networking complete fails uh, when I was young, what younger, when I was 20 eight, maybe around 30 years old, I started trying to go over to um, the Rotary Club in, in Macon, Georgia, where I'm from. Rotary Club's great, fine, whatever. Yes, but I was the youngest person in the room by 30 or 40 years, you know? They had me sit at the kids' table. I wouldn't do any networking in that room. The, 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 the social distance between me and everyone else in the room just made it not a social fit. So could I have brought value? Sure. But I never got there because we were too far apart in, in the network. So that's where I kind of say, yeah, you, you need to know people, but you need to, to be able to know the right people and bring the value to the right people. So that's my overall answer, I think. For the newcomer who is totally, like, totally fresh to the industry or to any space, how do you advise people to kind of audit themselves and see what value they can bring? Because sometimes there is, even, you know, obviously, like I always say, like, if you know, if you're one step ahead of somebody, like, you're, it feels like you're miles ahead of them, especially when you're a newcomer, like you're coming to the space, you're, you're trying to identify who's actually legit, who's kind of just flaunting like the one deal that went right. Like, how do you, number one, I guess, identify those people like that you should be networking with. And then two, especially as a newbie, maybe you don't even have your first deal done yet. How can you identify where you can bring value? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I think that falls. Well, first of all, if you're new to networking, then you go back to my yes answer. Network with everybody. Who cares? You just, just 
be there, take action, show up, just, just be in the room, build relationships. So to just do that first and it will organically kind of become more clear as time goes on. You know, and the second question was, uh, how do you kind of, how do you kind of audit yourself to see where you can bring value? Oh, what value like, you bring? Because obviously yeah. if you're, anytime you network up, you're going to feel that disparity. Like how do you, right. how do you identify that thing that you can, you can add to them? Yeah, I, I, I think a more direct answer would be the advice that I would be giving the person that you're trying to network with. So let me kind of flip it over and say, you know, when I have people come to me and do that with me and they say, well, hey, Bill, I'll, I'll carry your luggage. I'll make coffee. You know, I'll do all this kind of stuff. You just teach me real estate. Can I outsource what you bring to an employee? Hmm. If the answer is yes, then you're not a, a partner level value. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's kind of how you have to stop and look at it is, are you bringing value that cannot be easily outsourced? All right. So what values can someone bring? Two, twofold. One, education. Go get your real estate education, study, learn, you know, do all of the things that you can do to put your education together. But you have to understand that's not valuable to everybody. So that would not be valuable to me. Yes, but what if you went and found some high net worth individual who had no time to learn real estate, who had no time to learn education? Now you're valuable. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a function of you know, two ears, one mouth, uh, listen more, speak less. So listen to what people want, listen to what uh, the people you're trying to network with are after, you know, and ask that question. What do you want? What are you, what are you trying to do? How can I help you? How can I be of value? Ask. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask. And then, and then you try and decide, are you that value or not? So that's, that's one answer. The other answer would be bring a deal, go get a deal and bring me a deal. And you're very valuable, aren't you? You know, now that's easier said than done, obviously, but yeah, so those are the areas is, is education is always a value. Number one, but number two, you got to kind of really look and see who this person is and, and can you bring them something that they can't easily get. That's, that's value. If I can easily get what you bring, you're, you're not very valuable. Right. And, and so that's, that's kind of a, a, a gray answer, but I think the most uh, direct I can be is, is just trying to assess uh, whether you can be outsourced or not. Cause I know that I got, I got, I had some nasty conversations a couple of times when I was first getting started where I tried to network with people that, that, uh, I was wasting their time and they were very quick to tell me that in, in very less than polite terms, uh, how worthless I was to them because I brought nothing. So I'm trying to be polite and save you that trouble. I've got cut in half a couple of times socially. So yeah, you just want to kind of try and make sure you, you, you're bringing something unique. Let's put it that way. That would be a good way to put it. Right. Uh, can you think of a time where a connection that you made or a person that you did bring somebody to and built a relationship with that it just led to a, a moment of success where you can say like, because of this relationship, this happened? Oh, easy. Yeah. Well, the first one right on my mind is, is Gino Barbaro and Jake Stenziano of mm -hmm. jakeandgino.com. Yep. They, they have a podcast as well. And they've been in, in the sort of education space for a while. And I met them at a live event and, and I really liked those guys. I had kind of quit teaching and quit educating and I hadn't been coaching and doing things for, for a couple of years because I had been working with this other guru that uh, I kind of got burned out with and, and I quit teaching. And that's something that I do. You know, I enjoy doing it. It's a passion of mine. And so uh, I met these two guys at, at a speaking event and I thought, these are the real deal. And I went up to them and I said, hey, do you guys have a coaching program? And they said, no. And I said, we do now. And, uh, and we partnered up and, and I helped them build out more of an education side. So uh, they bring a lot of the, the marketing and the platform and the, the forward facing part of the business. And I bring a lot of the information and content fulfillment. So I would say right there, easy answer, Jake and Gino. 
were, were huge relationship networking successes for me uh, because they, they were the complete opposite of what I brought. Mm. That's what I'm talking about. They brought the, the marketing. They brought the podcast they already had in place. They brought all these things. I brought content and information, something they couldn't just outsource to an employee. That's a good partnership. And, and it was all because I saw something I wanted and I, and I went after it. I saw him, I, I listened to him speak and I was not shy. And I walked right up to him and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to help you build a business. And we did. So, you know, I just sort of uh, assumed the sale, I guess you could say, you know, and, and went for it. Yeah. What you just said is so valuable to people that are looking for partnerships. And I think one of the mistakes I see people make in any space is they tend to look for people that are just like them. And, um, you know, especially, uh, especially I see this with entrepreneurs, like there's a lot of type A personalities who they'll partner very briefly in a very explosive way with another type A personality. And then they end up splitting up down the road or there's a disagreement and how to handle something. And, you know, or they are all gifted in the exact same way. So salesmen find salesmen or marketers find marketers. And it's one of the mistakes that I made early on in my career was like, I would partner with people who were exactly like me instead of finding people like now, you know, working with Travis, you know, with his show from about five months in our partnership has been fantastic because he's kind of a more type A, he's good with sales. He's good with business development. I'm much more in the marketing and creative and I'm not a type A, like I'm not going to be fighting for this percentage of the company or this, you know, and I think sometimes people are surprised when they see us working together because I'm not his personality type, but I think that's exactly why there haven't been partnerships with some other folks that would look more like him or me working long-term with people who look just like me. It's finding someone who compliments. Yeah, I agreed. And I think I, to, to say it a little less politely, I, I think what a lot of people do is they find someone who's willing to co-sign their own BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You find someone that's, that's, that's yeah, 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 anything that you want to do. And that, that's not the partner you need. You need you need people that counterbalance. I don't want somebody that's just going to say, oh, Bill, you're awesome. Anything you say, yeah, great, let's do it. No, argue with me. Tell me I'm wrong. Pull right. you apart. Let's, let's get into this, you know. That's a good partnership. You don't need people that are just going to sit around and co-sign your own BS. And I think that's that's a, a feel-good thing that people do. And it's not ultimately not a good partnership. It feels right in the beginning, and then it feels very wrong functionally after that. So, yeah, I think sometimes you have to partner up with someone that may not be exactly the personality fit you expected, but in reality is exactly who you need to be partnered with. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very important concept what you're bringing here. Um, I see that a lot of cases with, uh, and I say, I think another aspect that we're not even talking about here is again, back to that bringing value thing. I see people partnering um, or creating groups in a lot of cases where there's just no value among the group whatsoever. So I, I have people come in and ask me to come and speak to their group and I'll go And this is a month ago or so. I go into a group and there's like 12 of them and they said, okay, we're, we're a group. We're going to buy real estate together. And I'm wow, there's like 12 of you. I'm like, that's a yeah. lot, you know? And it's, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're you know, we've got to get the, the seats on the bus and we put all the right people in the bus and then we get the bus going the right direction. You know, that's a common sort of business analogy is the seats on the bus and this nonsense. And I said, okay, cool. Let's go around the room here. Tell me what, what you all do. You know, and the first person is like, oh, I'm the net worth person. Okay, cool. And the second person is like, yeah, I'm the person that calls the realtors. 
Okay. Third person's like, oh yeah, I'm the one that, that analyze, analyze the deal. I, you know, I do the third person. We don't know what this guy does, but he's funny. He's in, we like that guy, you know, and then you're like in this person and they do, and like, all right, stop, stop, stop. You're, this is nonsense. You know what I mean? What's, what's going to happen is you're all buddies and you're all friends until I throw a million dollars on that table. And then you're going to come after each other with forks and knives in each other's throats. I said, you know, when what, a, a partnership will break down when all of a sudden there's a lot of profit and everybody starts looking around the table going, wait, what was Eric doing again? What, what yeah. was Bill doing again? I don't, you know, you, you call the broker and you get a hundred grand, you are running this calculator and that's worth 200 grand. Wait a minute. That's where it breaks down. And that's, that's a hard point of view to take because when you're early on, you want camaraderie, you want the team, you want the group, you all feel good. And it's hard to look at around the room and go, you're worthless. You don't yeah. bring anything, you know, equity is, is free until it, it turns into cash. You know, and then it's everybody is a dog pile. So yeah. that's why I kind of said, look, that deal, like that kind of partnership is not going to work because none of you bring any real um, irreplaceable value and you put a bunch of profit on the table, you all are gonna go at each other because you're gonna feel like nobody actually earned it. You know, One or two persons in the group's gonna have done most of the work. They're gonna be the first to turn on the rest of them. They're gonna look at the other people that didn't bring real value. That's how everybody sues everybody. Yeah. That's how a deal breaks down. And so if you really are careful about you know, having a very razor uh, attitude about applying this to, to value, you can cut away a bunch of people that don't need to be in your group. There's nothing wrong with a mastermind group, but when you confuse a mastermind group for a partnership, you've made a tremendous mistake. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. Well, I, I want to transition us here into our final round. This is yeah. our random round, so it's quick questions oh, with boy. some quick <laughs> answers here. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? Right out of the gate, I would like to be an aerobatic pilot. I think that would be fun. Uh, that's something I've always wanted to do as a, as a hobby is go, go fly uh, like the, the Red Bull races. I don't know if that's actually a career, but uh, that would be fun. Scuba dive instructor, that would be a good one. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, this would be fun. I'm just going to go off on the adventure type jobs. Right. Do you still fly at all or do you? I don't much. I, it's been a while. No. And, and I really, you know, people ask me, they go, like, oh, you go fly all the time. No, look, I... I was a pilot by trade. So it's kind of like coming to me saying, Hey, you used to, you know, drive a school bus for a living. Would you like to come drive my beetle bug around for fun? No, I'm good. I've, I've yeah. been there. I've done that. Now you show up and say, Hey, would you like to take my Ferrari for a spin? Yeah, let's go do that. You, you got an F-16 sitting outside. I get to go fly. I'm with you. You just got some little Cessna. We're going to go tootle around in it. Nah, I'm good. I'll go, I'll go fishing or do something else. So I, I don't really fly that much anymore just because there's not a lot of fun to it. Now it is only about the, the airplane. So if I've got access to some really cool plane, yeah, let's do that. But right, nah, right. Not much. if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present, who would that be and why? Oh, here, all right. At least I would, I would sit on a park bench with Niccolo Machiavelli or Sun Tzu. I would sit on the park bench with Sun Tzu or, or Machiavelli, one of the two. I did not know you were going to ask that question. I did not have these books like planned. He's well, there you go. Uh, the Prince and uh, the Art of War. So I would sit with Sun Tzu or Machiavelli, one of the two, or both. That's awesome. What's your favorite way to learn? Is it books, podcasts, videos? What's your, your favorite way to consume information? Experience, books, podcasts, and lecturing in that order. Uh, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Ah, easy. Uh, two cups of coffee in the Wall Street Journal for at least the first hour and a half of every morning. Every morning. 
uh, including Sunday, because I save half the paper for Sunday. I know the market's not open on Sunday. People catch me on that one. But two cups of coffee in the Wall Street Journal every single morning. Um, forget the coffee, but I highly recommend that you either in the morning or at some point in time during your day, dedicate a certain amount of time to not only studying information, but really paying attention to current events in the world. Um, and the Wall Street Journal is really good about that. It's about just staying uh, on, on all of the current events. Why? It's great for networking. I can't stand being stuck talking about the weather. What a stupid yeah. conversation. You know, if you meet someone and, and it's a new networking event and, and, you know, all you have to do is sit around and go, hey, how's the weather where you're from? <laughs> wah, wah. That's a boring yeah. conversation. But, you know, if, if you'll stay on current events, you'll find that you can have an intelligent conversation with almost anybody about almost any topic somewhere in the world that pertains to them. Yeah. You, them. And that's the networking key is to get other people talking about themselves and be interested in those people and what they have to say and have something intelligent to add to it. That's how you network. You're just sitting around talking about the weather all day long or talking about what you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's not good networking. And so I find that staying very current on current events uh, always gives you a, a, an edge in networking and in building new relationships. That's not exactly why I read the Wall Street Journal every morning, but it is a big part of it. And so that's my morning routine and, and why. Gotcha. What's, what's your go-to pump-up song? I don't know. I don't listen to music, but I listen to go-to pump-up song. How about uh, um, some Queen in there? Let's do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, I go back to, I'm thinking something old, old, like heavy metal or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I was just listening to the Queen the other day, uh, like, uh, what is it? We will rock you or something like that. You know, no. that would be good. Yeah, I'm not a big music person, so you're probably asking the wrong person there. <laughs> gotcha. What's something you're not very good at? <sighs> Social marketing, social media, mm. Facebook, <laughs> posting stuff correctly. Apparently, I'm always posting stuff incorrectly on Facebook. Everybody's like, you're not, you didn't post that right. You old guy, you're supposed <laughs> to like say words. And I'm like, well, the picture had words in it. I posted the picture. There was words in there. And then my staff's like, yeah, no, you're supposed to like write things. You can't just throw a picture. I have to say something. I'm like, well, isn't a picture a thousand words? What is this redundant? You're like, I did a thousand words today. What are you talking And then put the picture out there. They're like, you're so bad at being a millennial. I'm like, it's because I'm not, you know? So you always kind of see adulting. It's hard. Shoot, being young is hard. Are you kidding? I don't get it these days. Man, yeah, social media. I'm pretty bad at social media. Well, that's interesting in light of uh, my next question, which is what's the best place online to connect with you and kind of follow your, follow your <laughs> uh, journey? Apparently, it's not good to connect with you on yes, social media. No, um, well, uh, several comments. One, yeah, to connect with me online, I'd be happy to give everybody my email address, number one. Number two, Facebook. I mean, that's always a, a standard answer, Facebook. But really, if you're looking to get any more information on me, I actually have a fair amount of material out there. So just Google or, or search Bill Ham Real Estate. And that's ham with one M. And if you'll just uh, search Bill Ham real estate, besides getting my ranking up a little bit, and I do appreciate that, uh, you'll find about 10 pages of different material and articles and podcasts and things that I've been on. So um, there are lots and lots of ways to get in touch with me on, on social media, even though I'm not great at it. Uh, I do have a fair amount of material out there. Yeah, that's awesome. No, and definitely for anybody who's listening, be sure to grab a copy of uh, of your book, uh, Creative Cash. It's available. We'll have a link in the show notes you can check out as well as to all the different social media links. So you too can correct Bill on uh, how he posts for on Facebook. So, please. Hey, it's all interaction, right? It's all going to help that's your right. algorithm. So I'm getting uh, better at it all the time, but I, yeah. I definitely need some help. And if you're really good at like social media, look me up. I might need some help over here. It might, might be a way to add value in your, uh, in your reach Pay out. Value. 
right? <laughs> but uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for joining Pleasure. me here on the show. It was really good getting to talk to you. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll see some people connect, check out the book and uh, and make some steps into this, uh, this new world. Very cool. Thanks for having me here. That's awesome. it for this thank episode. You. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.